Look at my. Oh, am I on here? Am I? Can you guys hear me? Yes, I think okay, is mine um, on. Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, I can't tell the difference between like mic and no mic, or if like you're talking <laughs> through your AirPods, but that should be fine. Is yours on? Is yours connected? Mine. You want to double check? Yeah, it sounds. Yeah. Uh, it sounds a little AirPoddy. <laughs> you're right. It says I had it on my laptop, but not uh, not on Zoom. How does this sound? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I'm in love. You're listening to Marketing Major with Alex and Mo, a podcast by students for people who are curious about marketing. We are back for an official, official episode one. Last time it was like a last episode was a little bit of a trial. We called it episode zero for a reason. Um, but this is the first real episode where we actually get to interview somebody and not just our friends because we force them to be here. So we actually managed to get somebody on this season so far, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm pumped. We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah. A little bit, we're a little bit delayed in our uh, release schedule thus far, but you know what? That's okay. We're Everything's just delayed. Don't even yeah. worry about pandemic. it. Right? It's, it's COVID. a pandemic. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The ultimate want, excuse. You want us to be on time in a pandemic? Are you out of your mind? There's no way. There's no way. But hey, we'll figure it out. Well, content's coming. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you, people. Content is coming. We got stuff down the pipeline in the works, all that fun stuff. You'll see. Just follow us. Keep up. Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, all the good stuff. Just if you're there, you'll see us. That's all I'm saying. Is it Apple Music? Yeah. Apple Podcasts well, Apple and Apple Podcasts. Music, whatever. I use Spotify. So I'm not familiar anymore with the, with the Apple platforms. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, it's there. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, it's there. Janae, yeah. are you a Spotify or an Apple Music person? Ooh, ooh, you know, I've been waiting to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, for the longest time, I was Spotify through and through, uh, like the, dedicated, the, love this it. This sounds like there's going to be a but. There's a but. Could you tell? <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, so I have a history of switching platforms to, for like, like love interests. So when I started seeing my now partner, Mike, he was an Apple music user and I was a Spotify user, like star-crossed lover vibes. And eventually <laughs> like, we're both like super into music. So eventually I switched because, uh, you know, like you just want to like share like playlists and like, you know, like follow each other. Like it was like, it just like made more sense, but, but I actually pay for both. And I usually still update my Spotify as well, because I'm like a big, like making playlists and like, this is what I'm listening to right now. So like, I literally pay for both. I'm like a broke student and I pay for two <laughs> music streaming platforms. So yeah. <laughs> Um, if you're looking for some, uh, what's the, well, for someone to, to relate with you, um, Jill, our, um, our president refuses to get Spotify. She's also on Apple music and her excuse is that, oh, my, we're on an Apple music family plan. I'm like, it's $5. Just, no, nah, that's super I get, legit though. That's I get, I get legit. it. I get it. I get it. But like $5 a month, I think is, is doable for a superior platform in my opinion personally i definitely get um, that though janelle like i i'm also spotify but i have 
to for the sole purpose of sharing a playlist, I have mm -hmm. gotten like a free trial on Apple Music, not owning any Apple products, got a free trial on <laughs> Apple Music to be like, I got you and to make like the one playlist that I was talking about for my friend. So a hundred percent, I definitely get that, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like, honestly, like I do use both pretty regularly and like they both have their advantages. And Spotify, the algorithm is definitely superior. Not gonna lie. Like it still knows me like, but yeah. The suggestions and playlists that it makes for me is on, on point almost every time. So good. Yeah. So do you guys prefer listening to to playlists or are you more album people or a little bit of both? Because I'm 100% an album person. I cannot build a playlist for my life. I agree. Building playlists, playlists is like a super just exhausting task and so daunting to even think about. Yeah. I go through phases where like I've went through days where like I'm listening, listening to this artist all day. So I'll just go through all the artist's music. I've had album days, but as of late, it's been a lot of playlists just because I like to switch it up and discover yeah. new music and i uh, just like the nice thing about spotify is like the play the library of playlists that already has you don't gotta make your own you're gonna find something mm -hmm. that suits you so i just look stuff up listen to some music that's fair yeah um i think for me like i definitely used to be like playlists through and through and then again like switch to albums uh but i think i honestly like i'm like back and forth and when i have like more mental capacity then i like making playlists but like lately it's just like i'll just listen to like the albums that i've been feeling and uh, listen to other people's playlists but i haven't really had the chance to make my own lately rip i'm definitely like one of those people who still has a little like a little booklet of cds in my car like i have physical cds i have like anything to connect with my phone but i'm just like yeah just pop a disc in there so i love I, that uh, wow i love that actually this we should bring that back is it something different just about the driving experience and like something. looking for cds and having that physical disc you know so yeah I'm a, sky I'm a loves discs <laughs> It's very nostalgic. It's very retro. <laughs> yeah. Very retro vibes. <laughs> uh, big disc energy. <laughs> big disc energy. Is that is the that, name of this episode? Is that the name that of the this name? episode? <laughs> big disc energy. I might have just done something. <laughs> you might have you just done something. You might have just done something. is possibly. the brain of the podcast. Big brain over here. <laughs> Uh, yeah. guys reading week is in a week i'm so excited is it <laughs> right pretty sure it is i think there's one more week yeah. and then it's reading. it definitely week. is it definitely okay, is sweet. i double checked yeah the <laughs> anticipation has been killing me i've been waiting for this for so long true <sighs> need it it's been a tiring first few months i'm just barely hanging on by a thread honestly <laughs> I, uh, I just like forget about things like that. I think especially this year, I'm just like, do I do an awful lot at any point in time anyway? Probably not. So I just do Alex, you a say moderately that, but you're in... minimum amount of effort all year. So. Alex, you, you, you say that, but like you're really, you're literally involved in so many extracurriculars and you're working and you're in classes. Like, what do you mean you're not doing anything right now? Um, yeah, I guess so too. I don't know. I I don't know what it is, but I, I don't really feel it. <laughs>
think you're just I numb. Wow. I just, I just like to, yeah, I, that might be it too. I might, I might be too far gone. That, that's the other option. Yeah. I don't know. I think I just like enjoy doing a lot of the things. And so for me, it's, it's like a lot of fun to go do all that stuff. So I don't really, it, honestly, school gets in the way. If I'm being honest, that's what I, that's what I've realized is that if it's anything, such a nuisance. it's, you, it's such just a nuisance. A nuisance. I'm like, I got like other big, things to do. I have other big, things to get done. Why am I worrying about lectures and midterms? Come on, right. get out of my way. Get out of my way. Like big <laughs> shout out to university for, I guess, giving us the opportunity because without school, uh, there ain't no podcast. Um, but at the same time, just let me do the podcast. It, midterms? What? Yeah. Get out of here. It's tough. But hey, we're just... We got to put in our time. I know like Janae and I are graduating this year. So like, we're just like pretty much did it already. And we're just pushing through. I see, I see the light at the end of the tunnel and (laughs) boy, oh boy, am I trying to push through? So you got to do your time. I know it's not the most fun thing and I'd much rather just like be podcasting full time or doing all the other fun stuff I do full time, but it's true. Say la vie. (laughs) So I'd like to make sure my uh, webcam is clean. Mm. sometimes might be be a good idea do you guys have like the the webcam like covering thing i don't believe yeah (laughs) in that me neither like come on people i I, I understand i understand why people do it though i get it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if anything if anything i'd be flattered so (laughs) exactly like and if if there's anything that i'm doing that's sus If there's, exactly if there's anything that i'm doing that sus it's in front of my phone camera and on my laptop like i'm not really doing anything i'm just like working or like watching youtube so i'm just like checkmate feds <laughs> pretty much but i mean they won't see much <laughs> like there's not much going on here on this side of the, the camera people so watch watch at your own uh discretion um i have a question when you're in a Zoom meeting. Uh, what are you looking at? Are you looking at other people or are you just watching yourself the whole time? Myself every time. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> I, <know. laughs> uh, I wasn't yeah. about to say that, but somebody did. And then, I try really and- hard. I'm like, can they tell? Like, I'm like, <laughs> And then I do this thing where like, if it's like my turn to speak during like a work meeting or like a Zoom class or whatever it may be, like I can't look at people or the camera. Like I'll look above, like past my laptop, like up at like the window. And then I'll look back. I think it's just like the anxiety and just like people are watching me speak and I can't handle it right now. So I'll just avoid <laughs> eye contact and just look up. <laughs> You're like watching them watch you speak. It's like, I can't <sighs> Even talking about it gets me flustered. I can't even. You do realize that saying that that's just how... That's how interaction works. You do yeah. really, like even in real life, you're just watching people watch you speak. Yeah, story of my life, man. So, uh, Alex, I also I struggle with. <laughs> I also struggle with eye contact in real life as well. It's just like I get nervous. <laughs> I get nervous. What do I say? <laughs> Jenea, Jenea, I think she empathizes with me a little more. Mm-hmm, I don't know if you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Alex is Mr. Social over here. <laughs> um, Ooh, you know what I should do? Potentially pull up my notes. <laughs> yeah i have i have them split screen here in front of me I have, like, yeah me too and then, yeah, yeah I, well <laughs> the, we can't all be smart all right show a little professionalism here alex okay just get, be a little prepared if you don't mind 
no. <laughs> <laughs> That's me in my head every time like I hear like you have to show up to an event in like business professional attire or like act professional in this setting. I'm like, I don't want to. I just I don't I'm not a I don't want to. I just want to be myself, you know. I think a lot of business students probably relate with that. Like I hate mm-hmm. doing the whole like forced formal thing. I know it's just like a, a reality of being in the school and just like being in the business industry. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I just I don't like it. I don't I'm not a fan. I feel like they love like making like business students dress up and pretend to be a little professionals. And we're all just wearing like suits and stuff. And we're like, yeah, I know business things. I'm a business student. I can do this. Like <laughs> Yeah, but like even so really when you're like just sitting in the nursing building and just like rigid, just not knowing what to do. <laughs> yeah, like even but even when I'm not, like forget even just being a business student and being forced to like act professional. Like even when I'm 45 and I'm an actual professional, unless I'm unemployed, I really can't tell at this moment what's that's gonna be like. But um, even when I'm 45, like I don't want to be wearing suits to work every day. I don't want to be like that guy that's like wear suits to like meetings and like spend the whole day in a suit. Yeah, I don't know. it's not my vibe. I'm Alex, so you like you like. You like the whole suit shtick? I think it's kind of fun. I wouldn't, I think if it's like all day, every day, it's kind of like, oh, um, but that's uh, true. I don't know. The occasional, the occasional dress up is, is very quite fun. <laughs> and also, I'm also just like as loosey goosey as I always am, even in a suit. So I think that just makes it even more fun because I'm like just yeah. all nice and I'm still like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, I definitely feel good. I feel good like walking like down a hallway or whatever, just like walking into a room in a suit, like looking a little fresh, but just like I don't feel like myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that the problem that I have is like, <clears throat> like being forced to wear like a suit or an outfit that's like just like not expressive of my personality at all like I love I have like a green suit that I love wearing because it's like cool and like not like everyone else but I don't Mm -hmm. I would never want to be forced to wear just like a black pencil skirt and a white shirt every day like Like, if I can wear like a like a forest green velvet suit yeah I'll do that no problem that sounds like (laughs) fun Mo you got that turtleneck vibe oh yeah I I refuse to wear I have the ties I have gestures I refuse to wear them I'm on turtleneck vibes for the rest of my life I guarantee you, if you ever see me in a suit, I probably have a, I probably have a turtleneck on. I don't care what event I'm at. I'll show up to an interview in a turtleneck. I have no problem doing that. Just 30 degrees in July, turtleneck. Turtleneck. Our next guest, who's also the first guest of season three, is Adam Rosenhart, who is a storyteller at ATB. Um, he's had wild career which you've you've, you're going to be hearing about in just a second now and he has a lot of great advice and a lot of great just bars and bombs that he's going to drop on us here and he's a podcaster too so he really held his own hey adam how's it going good how are you Good. Ooh, we knew you'd have a mic. We knew you'd have a mic. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you have a mic. I want this to sound good. It sounds amazing. How you good. doing? Good. How are you all? I'm great. Uh, I guess we'll do some introductions. Did my voice just crack? A little <laughs> bit. Twice. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Just still going through puberty at 22. Um, um, let's do some introductions. Um, I'm Mo, by the way. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, you, Mo. Guys, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves as well. 
Yeah, um, I'm Jenea. We already sort of met a long time ago, but nice to kind of formally meet you again. Yeah, you too. Um, and I'm Alex. So I'm the other I'm the other co-host here with Mo. Hey, Alex. You'll have to excuse this us. We're a little bit nervous. It's you, the, actually... the first episode of our season. Oh, like really? The first real episode. Yeah. So yeah. Season season premiere. Big big shoes. <laughs> Shit. Well, well. I, hey, you know, maybe my first question for you guys is. Can I swear? Because I sometimes do. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 slip up sometimes too. Um, okay. We say go for it, and if we get some, if like the legal department of the U of A hits us up, we'll just like bleep some stuff. It's okay. We'll you know, fight them can, off. I guess I guess I should be careful because I'm also an instructor at uh, the Faculty of Extension, so I have to I have to represent the the U of A community thoughtfully for sure. Yeah, I saw that. I was uh, scrolling through your LinkedIn just the other night. I'm like, oh, he's an instructor too. It's super cool. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, a few, maybe like a year ago, a buddy of mine who uh, owns his own company in Edmonton is connected to someone who does um, pro, uh, program development at uh, Extension, and, and they were looking for someone to teach a course related to social media around issues in crisis management, and uh, that's a big part of the job that I do, so uh, they said, we'll pay you to do this, and I said, I will then, then I'll do it. There's money. <laughs> Easy as that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I've what? been teaching. I've done two. I'm on my second uh, course of teaching. And so I developed the course in like from last November to January. And then I taught my first course. I think it was in at the no, middle of July into August. And now I'm teaching my second uh, course with 14 students. And what I've learned is that I don't like marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, academia really makes you not enjoy what you thought you you would enjoy. You know what I mean? Like, I I really love marketing and I'm super interested about like taking marketing class and I'm in my fifth year right now. And I'm like, "Mm, man, (laughs) I don't know if I like this anymore. Doing it's fun. Learning about it. I don't know. Like it's, it should be fun. And, and it is to a degree, but then writing papers and taking tests, it's, you know, just want to get yeah. out there and do stuff. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like for you when you were a student though? Like, did you feel the same way? Like, I just, I want to go do it. Or yeah. were you just, were you, did you have fun in school? I had fun at school. I don't know if I had fun in school and, you know, like I, I really, really value my university education. I went to the U of A um, I, I took a, an arts degree in psychology, but about a year into it, I got really interested in journalism. And I, so I became an editor and a, a writer first, and then an editor at the gateway that was in like 1999, 2000 kind of thing. Um, and that sort of, that became my education. Like I, I went to class and, and I took the exams and stuff, but I was really focused on on writing and telling stories. And that actually, that's kind of a nice entree into marketing, truly. Like psychology, writing, a great combination. <laughs> yeah. That we're definitely gonna get into that, like the ins and outs of like storytelling and stuff and like the psychology behind it, all that fun stuff, because we're really interested in that stuff. But we didn't really get you to really introduce yourself and let the listeners know who Adam Rosenhart is and what you do. All right, well, uh, I'm Adam Rosenhart. Right now I'm the director of story at ATB Financial. So that's a, that's a job that involves uh, storytelling using primarily our website and social media channels. 
Uh, I am not a marketing major. I fell ass backwards into marketing. <laughs> we could talk about that. Um, I actually got my uh, degree, my arts degree from the U of A in psychology with a minor in English. Uh, started in journalism. Uh, briefly did some freelancing for publications like the Edmonton Journal and View Weekly. Only one of those publications still exist. Um, I got a job with my first, call it a, not an advertising agency exactly. It was kind of like a, a digital agency that uh, built websites and, and uh, created videos and that sort of thing for clients. And while I was there, it was called Ignition Media. It does, it still exists, but it's called Habit now. And uh, the reason I wound up working there is because my first job out of university, I, I was a, a business writer at, uh, at Coelectric, which is a utility company here in Alberta. And a friend of mine from elementary school also got a job there in a different department. He found me in the corporate directory. We started hanging out again. And he had this idea to create a website for hockey fans, particularly for Oiler fans, uh, because he felt at the time, this was like uh, 2006, 2007, he felt that the media in Edmonton kind of towed the, the company line when it came to the Oilers. They would, they would publish stories that were um, not super critical of the team. And he felt like the, the conversation that fans were having was different and he wanted to be a part of that. So uh, he came to me with this idea for a, a hockey website and he said, and I told him, well, you don't know anything about writing. And he said, well, but you do. So why don't you become a partner in this thing and we'll build it. And so we created OilersNation.com together with a few other partners um, as well. And Oilers Nation wasn't supposed to be successful. Like we, it was kind of like us experimenting with with the internet a little bit, in service of yes, you know, being hockey fans, but also um, we had created this other company called Dub Five before smartphones existed, before like the iPhone was a thing. We were trying to create peer to peer text mes message based scheduling for people. So rather than have to like email back and forth and say, hey man, are you available on this day for an hour? You could, your phone would just talk to another dumb phone and, and know via text messaging. And then like six months later, smartphones were a thing and we were like, oh, cool. So we can say we, we had a failed startup. And Oilers Nation, meanwhile, like skyrocketed because like the Oilers had just uh, been in the playoffs and fans were certain that they'd be in the playoffs again very soon. <laughs> and then they weren't. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so Oilers Nation just took off. And, and, and from there, with the, the folks that developed the Oilers Nation website look and feel were at Ignition Media. At the same time, that's all going on. Um, Twitter and Facebook are becoming like these. It's weird to think of them today because like at that time, a Facebook page for a brand didn't exist. It was, it was all, it had just come out of the Ivy League it was available to students at universities like the U of A, and it was just starting to become mainstream. And I had gotten pretty interested in Twitter because I thought it was kind of a fun platform, still my favorite social media platform today. Same here. Yeah, it's it's just like, I don't know, there's something about it. It's it's so special. It's like I, might, I might need a tutorial later. Um. <laughs> no, Alex, I think you just stick to TikTok. You're doing fine. You're going to just... <laughs> 
Hold up. I'm not that much younger than everybody else here on this panel. <laughs> anyway, so super excited about Twitter uh, and Facebook. And I, I emailed the owner of Ignition Media after we'd done some work with them on Oilers Nation. And I said, you know, I really think that social media is going to be a big thing and the companies need to start paying attention to it. And, and that should be your next, um, the next piece of your business that you develop for clients. And he said, well, I don't think you're wrong, but I don't want to develop it. Why don't I hire you to develop it? And so I left my, um, I don't want to say cushy, but my well-paying uh, job with ATCO to take a huge pay cut and go work at Ignition. And I was there for a year and a half trying to figure out social media marketing when this is making me feel so old, by the way, guys, because like all the companies I'm mentioning either don't exist anymore or their names have changed. Like ADCO still exists, uh, you know, too big to fail, but Ignition Media is now called Habit. And the company that hired me out of Ignition was called Calder Bateman Communications. And they actually got sold about, I want to say a year, year and a half ago to ZGM. Yeah, they merged, I think. That's right. They, yeah. 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 And uh, I was at Calder for six years. And that was like probably, well, it's, one, it's the longest I've ever been in any one job in my career. Six years feels like a long time. Um, and I got to work on some of the coolest projects I've ever worked on. So I was there for six years. We can get into the details of the kinds of things I worked on later. Then I, I spent a year and a half at uh, DDB Canada, which is a, you know, DDB is a world famous advertising firm. Uh, now it's an international thing. And uh, after a year and a half there, I went and worked at ATB and that's where I am today. I've been there for three years. So it's, it's an accident. I feel very, I feel like the, the, my path has been, I feel very fortunate. I feel very fortunate. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a wild path. Like, I think you're probably the first person that uh, when I went on your LinkedIn and looked at your experience and all the different positions and stuff, I had to like, there was like a multiple pages to it. Like I had to go down <laughs> and it said, show the next five. And I kind of like it extended and then I did it again. I'm like five more and yeah. I did it again. And I was like, this guy's done so much. It's so wild. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always sort of like, I mean, my LinkedIn profile, I'm looking at it right now so that I can sort of remember <laughs> what's in there, but it includes the stuff that I did when I was working at the U of A at the Gateway, um, which I did from, you know, according to this, from 2002 until 2005 in an official capacity as a paid employee. I was a volunteer at the Gateway from 1999. So that's really like kind of where my career began. Yeah, no, I'm super old, Mo. It's crazy. 1999. I'm 40 years old now. So... (laughs) So, and also yeah. it's interesting the path that you feel like it's very accidental that you ended up uh, at ATB doing exactly what you're doing, because especially kind of going through university and all that, you have this idea that everything's extremely intentional um, and you got to do step A and B so that you end up at step C, except you seem to have gone to, you know, maybe like F, J, K down the line and then come back to a whole other, like you've kind of been all over the map a little bit. Yeah. And let me ask you guys a question. Like, do you, you know what you want to do? You know what you want to be when you grow up? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's tough. I have a very general idea, but I was going to say like your story is kind of sobering because everyone right now wants to have like, oh, I have this idea of my career path and how it's going to go, how it's going to progress. But like, I'm just like, it's going to figure itself out. I'll end up wherever I'm supposed to end up eventually. But no, I don't have like a clear idea. 
when I started at the U of A, my intention was to go into, into the school of business. And I can't remember, I, I think the gateway really steered my course because I, I was very, very passionate about writing and about journalism. Um, but yeah, I, I, my intention was to do my first year, just kind of general studies, if that's even a thing anymore, and then go into business. Uh, I know I didn't need this for it, but I took like my first uh, math class in university. It was like math 113 or 114. And it literally felt like the, the professor was speaking a different language. And I was like, I don't know about this. And, and then I, I, I picked psychology because psychology is genuinely interesting to me. At, and I, so I picked that. And at that point, the beginning of my, my, uh, my, my venture into that, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be a psychologist. But what I learned after, I think I was at the U of A for five years because I, you know, I didn't, wasn't a full-time student the whole time, is I, I didn't love school. Like I, I, I value what I got out of school, but I didn't love going through it. And the idea of to be a psychologist in Alberta or, and I think Quebec at the time, you needed at least a master's degree. And I think now you might actually need a PhD. And, it, and I'm in my mid twenties thinking, do I really want to keep going to school? Where's the money going to come from? That sort of thing. So, so I, uh, I became I became a corporate shill and, and here I am. <laughs> That's actually, your story is so f- interesting because I have a very, very similar story where like, I remember getting the business, Math 114 was my least favorite class to this day. Scraped by with a 2.0 and I'm happy about it. Um, yeah. And then I also was really interested in, in psychology. So I decided to minor in it until I realized that I hated school or I didn't hate it. I just didn't enjoy learning about it. But I'm like, that's why I got into marketing because like the way people think, decision-making, how people like communicate and process information and all that stuff. And then I dropped my minor. I'm like, I'll just learn about it on my own at another time. Wow. But it's, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I value what I, what I got out of school. I think if I had to do it now, I, I would just appreciate it more, but it was like, I wanted to get on with my life and maybe like, I imagine I was thinking it was, you know, time to make a mark and really do something. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's what I set out to do and maybe accompli- have accomplished. Um, but it's weird. It's weird sitting here talking with you guys, sort of rehashing the past and thinking about, about what it means to me. So if, uh, if you had the option, we just go back and just do like open studies and take any courses or any of the topics or anything you wanted to learn or. Yeah, I think I probably would. If I, if I went back now, like imagine we all lived to be healthy and 120. I would, and we didn't retire till we 90 or hundred. I would probably go back and, and finish the psychology thing and, and get a master's and, and get a PhD because um, I really do find it super interesting. And, and so much of the work that, that I do in marketing and communications today is informed by human psychology, the way people behave online, the way people react to messages, the, the things they think and feel when they're consuming content, that stuff's all really important. I am also curious a little bit because you've kind of been able to jump around all over the place and you end up in marketing without really having any background at all in marketing and doing so many things before that. I guess if we should sort of relax and not worry about exactly where we're going right away and allow ourselves to follow interests and 
kind of jump from project to project. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you approach a position in marketing, whether through like applying or also starting like without having any background in it? Like, how do you present yourself in a way to be a valuable marketer without having any marketing that's qualifications? A, that's a really good question, Alex. I, I think that, um, I don't know that I went into my career with a, a mindset around like specific objectives, but you, you sort of alluded to it. I, I, I looked for opportunities and I said yes to the things that interested me. And at the time when I was, you know, 20 years younger, I said yes with abandon. Like I, I never really thought about what was on my plate. I was just like, that sounds cool. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. Yes, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll write for the gateway. Yes, I'll, I'll get, I'll make a podcast with a buddy. And I think just through like collecting those experiences and really thinking about them or, or letting the experience sort of move through you and, and consider how it makes you feel. I sort of got a sense of what was interesting to me and what I was good at as well, because like, it's what, it's one thing to be passionate about, but you can be really passionate about marketing, but you could be a, a piss poor marketer. Like, <laughs> I mean, not everyone who listens to Terry O'Reilly's under the influence podcast is a marketer. Right. But a lot of them are. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is for me, I feel like, you know, I, I'm speaking from a position of tremendous privilege as well, because like, you know, I came from a middle-class family. We did really well. I didn't, my parents helped pay for my education. Um, I was never, there was never any risk to saying yes to things and, and having to worry about, about money. I, there was always an, a safety net for me. So I could pursue opportunities that maybe weren't um, lucrative financially. You know, I could, I could afford to take uh, a $15,000 a year pay cut to go to a different job because I was never really at risk of like being out on the street or anything like that. So, so when I say I'm lucky, that's what I mean. Like I, I was born into privilege and I never had to, never had to fight tooth and nail for, I actually feel like a lot of experiences just got handed to me. And I know that's not exactly the case. Like I know that I did, I, I work hard and, and I did doggedly pursue the things that I, that I wanted to, but, um, um, but it was, partly luck in, in circumstance. Um, I don't know that I actually answered your question though. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I think it, it did like yes and no for sure. Yeah. I think it answered like part of it. And then, <laughs> and then like the next part would be like, okay, so if you don't have a background in marketing, if right. you've kind of done writing and stuff on the side that isn't quite marketing, when you approach a position like your current position, how do you how do you like have credibility to, to a market, like in a marketing uh, circumstances? Yeah, that's, that's great. Okay. So we're back on track now. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I, I have a, a dear friend named uh, Dr. Lisa Belanger, who is, uh, she's a remarkable woman. She owns a company called Conscious Works and Lisa is an academic. Uh, well, at least that's how she started. She wrote a couple books. Um, she studied right up to, I think her, might get this wrong, but her postdoc um, in um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up, but it was something initially around kinesiology, but about health behaviors, particularly her research focused on how healthy behaviors can influence outcomes for cancer survivors. 
And she actually created a whole charity around this called Knight's Cabin Cancer Retreats. I was the, I was the president of it for a year. And she told me, you know, everything is marketing. Everything is marketing and communications. Like you can't, you can't convince someone of an idea if you don't have at least a little bit of a sense of, of how to market that idea, how to position it, how to message it, how to talk about features and benefits and those kinds of things. And, and so like, I think that, you know, writing was a big piece of it. Like being able to clearly communicate in structured ways different ideas, being able to assemble an argument, being able to think about how that might be received um, by an audience. I think that my writing and my understanding of psychology were the ingredients that have made me successful in marketing and communication. So, you know, do you need formal training in any of this stuff? I don't think you necessarily need formal training in anything. And I know I talked about how I wasn't the best student and I didn't love school, but one thing that university taught me was how to think critically about things, how to examine an issue. And, and it actually taught me how to learn, um, which I, you know, carry with me today. I you know, as much as I didn't love being in school, I, I value my degree and my time at university so, so much. Um, but those, those things combined with uh, those skills, that ability to learn, and then an interest in it is, I think, what got me this far. And so, you know, I don't think you need formal marketing training to be successful in marketing. I definitely don't think it hurts. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's a, there's a prophet, the U of A, and I'm going to forget his last name. His first name is Webb. And That's teaches, his, yeah, Webb DeSome. Yeah. Webb DeSome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've actually presented to Webb's classes. While I was at DDB, we connected a lot, and I presented to his classes a few times. And, you know, the way that he taught, um, I think it might have been an intro to marketing class, either for, might have been for a graduate course. But anyway, like, those people were super passionate about marketing. And I think, I think that's critical. Um, but how those folks arrived at that passion is something I'd be more interested in than whether or not you enter the program and you learn the passion. You know, like the most successful people in marketing, advertising, and communications are, are nerds about, about those topics. Like, they look at a television ad or an online ad and they deconstruct it and they try and think about, you know, what was the insight about the audience that drove this kind of creative? Like you look at a Skittles commercial, they're, they're bonkers. They're like an acid trip. And you can't help but think like, man, who came up with the idea? Who sold it to the client? Like what, who convinced the president of a candy company that, it ridiculously exaggerated smiles and like Skittles falling from the sky was going to sell candy. You know, it's, it's, so it's like, I think passion has to be the tip of the spear for anyone who gets into this business because it can be a rough business. I'll tell you, there is you a lot of, you work overtime for sure. Yeah. You couldn't be more right. Like honestly getting it, like being a marketing student, I've 
kind of ruin Super Bowls for myself because I just sit there during the <laughs> halftime show and just analyze. And I'm always asking, like, how did they come up with this idea? Like, how do they arrive here? It's it's fascinating to me. Um, but uh, you did make a comment about like you don't need training, and I'll just be the first, not the first one, but I'll say that you also don't really need education in marketing. I think that's where people kind of get it wrong too. Is that they're like, oh, I didn't get a marketing degree. Like you don't really need one. It's not no. really, yeah. You learn such basics, but it doesn't really apply much to like the actual day to day of marketing. I feel most of the most of the people that I have worked with who have been really exceptional don't have formal training in marketing or communications. They they have arts degrees. They have political science degrees. They're they're you know they're artists. They're curious about culture and about the way that we interact with one another as human beings. And I think. You know, the the degree, the piece of paper, the diploma, that's one thing, but but to be really successful, it is about it's about passion, it's about interest, it's about being a student of the world in a lot of ways. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but like every successful uh creative director or suit that I know in the business, they read the weirdest magazines, they listen to bonkers music, they consume media that is that is off the beaten path. And that's what makes their thinking so original. Yeah. Too many people just watch Mad Men and think that they can do it and they'd be good at it. So yeah. I think you definitely have to be like a little bit of a weirdo, a little bit of a nerd and all the stuff just to really be good at it and find success. Yeah. You gotta, have to, you almost have to be obsessed too. Like, you know, when I was I starting out in my career, I worked, I would work 12 and 16 hour days uh, all the time just to get to the best result, whether we were developing a campaign, a specific execution of a campaign, a piece of creative, like, and I, I, you know, I was thinking like, ATB is, is like that. I mean, we are, I would say, as obsessed about the quality of the work we do, but the culture there is a little more nine to five. Um, And I was thinking recently, like, what would it be like to go back to DDB, where I worked with some of the most professional, talented, intense people, um, where I, I felt like the whole time I was there, I was just trying to keep up. And there's still an allure. Like, I think it would kill me. I think I would be exhausted, but, but, but damn, they produce good work and they get to work on some cool shit. So yeah, there's uh, you have to be a little bit, you have to have a screw loose to want to work in this business. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because like as a student um, contemplating, do I want to work client side, agency side, you know, what do I want to do? Like they both seem, that one seems more fun, but that one pays more and there's more stability here, but there's more room for growth there. It's such like a, it's a tough decision to make and you've done both. So yeah. what's that been like for you? I mean, my, if I had to give you advice, I would say go for the, go for the agency job, do it, do it now learn from the best people working in the business now and try and come up through the ranks. Like money isn't everything, you know, it's in fact, as I move through my career, it's actually probably the least important thing about work. You'll always earn a salary that, or, a, or pay that, that is, that is pretty good. Um, if you're, you know, if you work hard and, and you're maybe a little lucky, um, when you're young, you don't need very much money. At least I didn't when I was young. Uh, I lived in shitty little apartments with roommates and, and uh, ate poorly, but had the metabolism that allowed me to do that. Not so much anymore. Um, but the, those agency jobs, I like some of the most 
amazing young people I've ever met are the ones that I meet in those jobs. And they're so, those are formative opportunities. Like they'll change who you are and the way you see the world. And I wouldn't, you know, the, the opportunity to work with many clients instead of just one, that, that is, that's really exciting. And uh, so if, if you're asking, I'm telling you, find an advertising agency to work at. Go there, yeah. spend some years there. It's super fun. Definitely. That's definitely on my mind. The only thing about agencies that I have, I feel like you have to be like super talented, special or artistic to be like, to make it an agency. And I just feel like an average guy. So like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if agency is really the way for me to go, even though like it does seem very interesting and like exciting to be an agency. I don't, you don't have to be creative. Um, you, <laughs> you really don't. But you have to care about creativity and you have to, it's that, it's that passion thing we talked about before, you know, um, I think of some of the best account managers I ever worked with, they would tell you they don't have a creative bone in their body because it's not their job to, but they are, they care deeply about the work. They, they've learned, they've come to learn about, you know, strategy and audience insight and all that stuff. And they're super organized people. Like, I mean, I started out when I was at Ignition, I was a a coordinator. Um, and that's kind of like the lowest rung in the, on the ladder for folks on the account management side, but I learned so much and I got to work with the creative people. Like I got, they, they would ask me my opinion. Like, what do you think of this, this look for this website? And, and you, you sort of sit with them and, and talk about it. So you don't have to be the, the person creating the, uh, the shiny, um, video or website, but you have to, you have to be able to think critically and, and have an opinion about what you think is good creative. So, so don't worry about not being creative, Mo. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I was going to say like, cause I'm, I'm also not a marketing major. Um, so I'm not too familiar with the difference between agencies and what other opportunities are out there for marketers, at least right now. Um, but it does seem like your at least your experience was a little more of like a more intense like bubble environment where you're just among a bunch of like a bunch of super cool super different people in like a much more intense environment and and so it sort of creates this bubble where maybe even if you're not necessarily like the star player like you can't have only star players on the team right it it ends up kind of bringing everybody up a notch or it brings something different out of you even if you don't feel like you're necessarily the uh the top dog yeah i don't have you guys read uh the book radical candor no no but i'm adding it to the list it's a good book (laughs) it's it's a good book it's it's like you know kind of like uh business pop psychology but the author talks about there being rock stars and superstars and you need both for an organization to work properly your superstars are kind of the people that you're describing alex like the the folks who like walk into a client meeting and it's like Don Draper on Mad Men, you know, they're <laughs> selling Kodak, not their little slide wheel, but it's, it's called the carousel. Um, so they, they're like, they hit home runs all the time, but rock stars are dependable, solid, reliable performers. They're rock solid and they enable superstars to do their best work. And I think, you need organizations that have both, whether we're talking about marketing and advertising or we're talking about something entirely different. You need like accounting firms need superstars and rock stars. Um, 
so I think like you don't, not everyone is going to be this like expressive, uh, extroverted, creative personality. And you can't have a company full of those people because literally no work will ever get done. You'll, you'll just be watching YouTube videos and trying to one up each other with the funniest thing you've ever seen. So if you're like thinking of yourself as more of a rock star than a superstar, that's, that's fine. You know, and I, I used to, I, my, my mentor is a, a woman named Peggy Garrity, who's actually now the chancellor of the University of Alberta. And Peggy used to tell me things like, you need superstars, you need rock stars. You need some people who never move. They stay in their one job forever because they're so damn good at it. And they'll always be good at it and you can rely on them. And they're happy doing that one thing forever. Does that apply to like an explosive career in, in marketing? Maybe not. Like you don't always want to be an account coordinator. You probably want to move up a little bit, but you know, there are some people who become production artists for their whole lives and that's all they do. And they're really good at it. And that's okay. That's okay. But my question for you, Alex, is what are you doing in school? If not, uh, if not, uh, marketing. That's a good question. Um, I'm more in the like management side of things. And so that ends up kind of being a little general yeah. because management and leadership type of, of thing, like courses are relevant to sort of everything. Uh, but I am also more on like the creative side outside of school. So that's why I'm kind of diving into marketing to see what it has to offer to me and, and find something that can kind of tag team the, uh, the management slash leadership stuff that I'm also learning right now. Yeah. It sounds like they used to call it soft skills when I was, uh, when that's, I was your age. That's exactly what I, I'm getting a degree in just soft skills right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so man, that's, that's all I had. Like I took, I think one creative writing course, uh, in, it was a, it was a nonfiction creative writing course at U of A. And then I taught everything else myself. Like I, I probably have a soft skills degree too, but I, I'd wager you could actually do stuff like, like, you know, it's not just that you're learning to become a leader. You could probably like crank out a pretty compelling proposal or a piece of writing or a podcast, you know? Yeah. Per perhaps one day I'm kind of, I'm kind of banking on that basically is I'm like, I know this is very soft skill heavy. And so I'm like, learn those soft skills and then learn how to apply them as best I can to, <laughs> wherever I can. So like exactly listening to kind of the path you went through and how you chase your interest. That's exactly the game plan here. And I'm glad that there is a version that uh, ends up in like a really cool place. Um, despite not always having the strongest like arrow pointing in the right direction all the time. Yeah. I mean, the arrows pointing forward. I think that's all that matters, but like, it's almost your, you're herding cats, you know, they're all going to move around and, but you're eventually moving them in the same direction, which, which I think is kind of like, I don't know, like, did you guys, do you guys have five-year plans? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I, have, I, have not. A, I have a two month, I have a two month plan. <laughs> even that's generous. I, I was just talking earlier with somebody about how like, I can't even, I can't even set my week straight a hundred percent, let alone five years. Like it's just not, yeah. it's not a reality. Yeah. And especially now with the pandemic, like it, you, this is the biggest sign, like don't bother planning this far in the future. Shit's going to happen. <laughs> I plan to survive the pandemic. My <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Alex, I hate to speak for you, but you're leaving out a pretty key detail in like your 
what you do creatively and like your one of your potential education slash career paths here. You're gonna call me out. Okay. Yeah. Um I also I think, I think Adam needs to know this. Yeah, that's fair. It could be helpful. I'm also uh I've spent a lot of time being very heavily involved in like the theater arts. So I also do a lot of acting um as well. It is pretty casual. So most calling me out here, that's all good. But um yeah, I've spent a lot of time doing that and I also plan to use either a lot of those skills or being able to kind of hop back into that industry however I can. So yeah, I feel like there's also a lot of a lot of cool skills and, and soft skills as well there. So it's all it's all very <laughs> soft skill. Let, let me ask you something because I think I think you kind of buried the lead there uh, a little bit. And thanks Mo for calling him out. Why didn't why wasn't that the first thing you told me? That's what I was thinking. Um, I don't know. I think um, in a more casual environment, I think I'm learning to be just very open about it. I think when you look at art uh, and talk about your involvement with the arts, the only way that people kind of legitimize it is if you're getting paid for it, quote unquote. Yeah. Like you're not an artist if you're also waiting tables and doing your art, you know? So I think from a casual perspective, I, I have had the privilege to like train with the Citadel Theater over the last year, which has been super cool and um, kind of learning to, to, to accept that on a, casual on a casual level. And when people do ask, I do start saying now that I am an actor, I'm a student, but I'm also, yeah. I'm also an actor. Am I getting paid for it? Not necessarily, but I do it a lot and I do it for fun. So yeah. Um, and then now I'm starting to find a find a way to get that into my like the conversation about me without it sounding tacky. Like I also don't want to run it into the ground to be like, did you know I'm an actor? Did I mention I'm an actor? Did you guys know? <laughs> like I also don't want to run that into the ground because then people are gonna start rolling eyes. So, so I, I've heard I heard one or I'm, I'm gonna make an assumption um, based on I think what what you sort of alluded to society perceives as valuable. Yeah. That if you, if you start with, Hey, I'm Alex, I'm an actor that people value that less. There's a, there's almost a stereotype associated with that. Oh, you're an actor. Yeah. You're an actor. Yeah. Right? You almost have to prove it a little bit. Like, yeah, like most oh, other things you won't have to prove. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and I totally understand. I, I was curious. That's why I asked, but I think, uh, I think you should lean into it, man. Like fuck everybody else. This is, <laughs> this is a, you're, you're, you're taking a path that, that you don't want to be uh, as typical. And, and so I had, I'd embrace that dude. Like, and now that I know that you're an actor, um, you know, I, I work with a writing partner because I still like writing a lot. And he and I have, we've, de we've developed some pitches for theater companies. Like there are some theaters in Alberta that are trying to figure out, you know, what do we do if we can't get people into the theater? And some of them have started developing audio series. So we've worked together. We've pitched an audio series. We're working on a, a fictional podcast. Um, and if I ever need voice talent, you're one of the people I call now. So this is about, it's about networking. It's about, you know, putting out there what you actually want people to know about you. And, and then next time I think of, I, I need a young, handsome voice. I'll think of Alex. In a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, Adam. I wouldn't even think think twice about it. 
Awesome. This is, I'm glad this to is hear such that. a, this is such a beautiful moment. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to sit back and just like, let's just sit, sit in this, sit in this moment for a second. This is beautiful. So, there's some real love happening here. It's bask important. So much sun, love. Bask in so the, much the, love. Sun, the warm, the warm sunshine. That is <laughs> yeah. this conversation. Yeah. Like my chest, my chest feels warm right now. Like I'm enjoying this very much. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. That's awesome. Over the past few months, learning to communicate, or more importantly, laying low in class, has been a whole different experience. That's why today, we like to give a big thank you to the Zoom mute button. Just like any other mute button, Zoom makes sure that it is, in fact, always working, no matter how paranoid you are. But, unlike their competitors, they also pack in a bunch of functionality right into the button including the option to change your microphone and speaker inputs, as well as a quick access button to all your audio settings so you can fix issues on the go. They also include super intuitive keyboard shortcuts, like Alt-A to turn it on or off, or holding down the spacebar for temporary use of the microphone, much like a walkie-talkie. So, when you find yourself in an online class or meeting, make sure to use the Zoom mute button so you can eat your loud snacks or have your in-person side conversations with confidence that you won't disturb anything, nor will you appear on the big screen for everyone to see. Let's get into storytelling, Adam. Yeah, let's transition into into the, the main topic of yeah. today, I guess. So, so I'm, I'm sure you already know that storytelling is not really something that's mentioned in school. Or in education, yeah, which at is all. fucking so like, insane, right? Bananas. It's kind it's of bananas. like it's a it's one of those things where you hear the term a lot. I feel like, but then never quite a concrete definition, or never too much of a like a deeper explanation to what exactly it means. Yeah. So like we were like question number one. This guy's coming in. What are we asking him? What the frick frack is storytelling? Okay, well, I'll, let's go. Let's go into the sort of like neuroscience of it. the 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 simplest explanation, without getting into like the research, which I haven't done in a long time, is that we are actually wired for narrative. Like our brains, think about our ancestors. They communicated with oral storytelling before they ever wrote anything down. It's how we. It's a way that we interpret the world. It's it's a way that we. Um, convince people of an idea. It's a way that we try to dissuade children from uh, wandering off with strangers. Like everything in our lives that relates to communication is storytelling. And it's, I mean, like corporately, it's just a new term for something that we've been doing for ages. Um, you know, you think about, Mo, the ads you see at the Super Bowl. Um, those are, they're just 30 second stories, you know, designed with a specific purpose in mind to either sell a brand or a product, but it storytelling is, is everything in the human experience. And so marketing and communication has co-opted that, um, that approach to engaging with other people because it's super, super effective. I don't know why that concept isn't taught in school or, or maybe it's called something else. Like, I don't know, maybe it's messaging or something like that, but, but everything, everything communications mm -hmm. and marketing is storytelling. Yeah. I was, I was thinking like how to put it into just like a few 
cute words. And like, I think marketing is just storytelling and relationship building at the end of the day. Like, and you're telling the stories or you're building those relationships by telling those stories, even, even like a poster ad, like there's still a story to be told within that ad. It doesn't have to be like a video or actually like an audio story. Yeah. Like I think you're telling the brand story, telling the story of this product, you're telling the story of this social movement, whatever it may be. Like, I think at the end of the day, you're trying to convey some sort of narrative. You're right. It all comes down to narrative. But think about like, you know, my wife and I have been together for just over 10 years and there's two ways we interact when, when you, when we come home from work at the immediate way is how was your day? Good. Fine. Usually you're still, you're still parsing it. You don't really want to talk about it. Then you really get into like the other night, my wife said, you know, I had a, my wife's a teacher by the way. So she is like, she's physically in school with kids in junior high. It's very stressful. But I try to get out of her, you know, I know, I know the job isn't easy right now, but tell me about one great thing that happened today. And I always get a story. And, and, and the story that she chooses to tell is actually a really good barometer for how she feels about her day. So either, you know, I, I, I had to give shit to this kid who just wasn't listening or I feel like I really reached someone today and here's what happened. And I remember all of those stories, you know, and I, it makes me, it makes me understand my my wife's state of mind from that day better. It makes me understand how she approaches her job. Like everything is story. You, you, you get together with your friends for a drink, at least we used to, um, and you just sit around and tell stories. Here's what happened to me the other day. This crazy, I saw this crazy thing on the internet. Like it's all, it's just everything. Like I don't know how else to answer the question. Like what's the deal with story? Where at, at work, at ATB, where we really use it is, you know, we're trying to position ATB as a brand that's there for Albertans. We were, we were founded in 1938 by the government of the time to help farmers during the Depression when other banks wouldn't touch them. So we, we occupy, at least historically, a fairly special place in the market. We're going we're gonna to help you when other people won't. We, we call ourselves, you know, we're sort of built to help Albertans. So how, how can you make that believable? My team's job at ATV, I'm the director of the story team, is to use storytelling to prove the brand. So if we're built to help Albertans, and that's a big part of our brand promise, how did we deliver on that? How did we help Albertans? Well, we do it through things like um, community uh, engagement and initiatives, so sponsorships and corporate social responsibility initiatives. But we also literally, you know, help businesses that are struggling, whether that's through um, financing or you know, uh, getting them the right product or whatever. And my team's job is to put that information out there in the form of real emotional human storytelling so that the next time people sort of see our brand, they go, oh, I remember those guys helped that farmer that one time. I, I like them. And, and the, the sort of like the, the piece of it that, that really comes to life is during times of crisis, like the pandemic, when you know, maybe you're, we weren't maybe as responsive for some people. Like as soon as the lockdown happened, they wanted to know what are we going to do for them? And we weren't, we didn't answer right away. It took us a few days to figure out how we were going to support people. 
but they were okay with us taking a few days because they know based on the stories they've heard about us that, that the purpose of our brand is to help them. So you sort of build equity and positivity into a brand through storytelling that insulates you when times get tough and people are a little, a little more, um, you know, uh, snarky or upset or freaked out and, and you can't respond right away with a definitive answer. So that's the value of it, at least from a brand and a marketing perspective. It, it seems like it's a really, it's, it's almost a more effective way to, to communicate whatever it is you want to like looking at either example of a bank or even the example of of you and your wife like the difference between a good and a fine versus a story about the day like a specific instance even though it might not encapsulate everything it's it's a better it's a better insight to it and it's it's kind of the same i think when we were when we were thinking about storytelling and talking to somebody who works with a bank in terms of storytelling we don't really look at a bank necessarily as a storyteller all the time. That's not that's all. not always that that isn't the first thing you think of when you think of a bank or a financial institution. And so, um, a bank leaning into that um, is able to to push their their brand and their their messaging, their perspectives a lot more effectively. Yeah, trying to tell stories as opposed to just generic messages. I suppose would be the other side. Yes, and it has to be true. Right. So, I mean, I, I know, and I know you're not suggesting this, like it can't just like make it up. It can't just be yeah, like, we helped this person uh, with their mortgage and then that's not true. It has to be real and connected to your values as a brand. Right. So like the stories that ATB will tell are, might be different from the stories that the Royal Bank will tell, right. Cause their positioning is different. Their values are different. Their brand is different. But right. we're trying to get people to believe and understand that ATB is here for Albertans through good times and bad. You know, we were, we had uh, hundreds, I think, I might be wrong about the number. We had a lot of staff during the fires in Fort McMurray who were bussed up to Fort McMurray to help, right? You know, that it's that sort of stuff. You tell stories about that. You know, I met so-and-so in Fort McMurray, their house had burned down and gave them a blanket and they told me the story about their son who's in hockey and all of his hockey equipment's gone and here's what we did to help them and it, it's just like it's just different and it's unexpected i think that a lot of brands go straight for the messaging they're trying to sell a product um they're trying to sell a mastercard or or a mortgage and i think that's why the super bowl ads are so interesting is because they're not they are product ads they are brand ads but they tell such an interesting story they're barely selling the product barely like it's barely. usually like the story and like all oh, the products right here by the way and then like yeah. just cut to the next episode but like you know, they very intentionally push the w weird story and that's why it's such a it's such a fun and, and big thing because you're not selling as much and, and more more than ever before customers say and customers for any organization brands have to stand for something and the way that you demonstrate that is both through both through the act of doing it, but by telling the story of what you've done. And I think a terrific example of that is, is Nike and their support of Colin Kaepernick. I mean, this is a brand that ostensibly sells shoes for, for both amateur and professional athletes. 
but they're actually about social justice. And it may not seem on the face of it like that should matter. They should just stick to selling shoes. It's like when athletes kneel for the national anthem, they should just stick to sports. Well, no, everything is, everything is integrated. But I guarantee you Nike's share price is higher because of the positions they take and the storytelling they do around the positions they take. I feel better that I own a pair of, of running shoes from Nike because they support athletes like Colin Kaepernick, who believes in social and racial justice, right? So these things matter to audiences and it's actually audiences' um, desires and, and the things they care about are changing the way corporations behave uh, or at the very least changing the way corporations market. It's definitely changing the way I think they behave because I think historically, Brands were were trying their hardest to like let's create this story, this narrative, uh, let's let's create this conversation, let's create some buzz around this product or this release or whatever. But I think now it's more like the brands just joining the conversation that's already happening with the people that it's yeah. trying to connect to. Just be and, part of it. Don't don't do anything too much. Don't try to create anything. Just join them. And and that's I think that's the the good side of what social media has brought to to the conversation is it's empowered the consumer more in a way where, where that gets perverted is when, um, you know, customers use it as to bully brands. Like you didn't, you didn't solve the problem for me the way that I wanted you to, uh, United airlines, therefore you're the worst. Now I say that, but United airlines has done some truly horrible shit. And if you took my faculty of extension course on issues in crisis management, you'd know that. I marketed. I, I told you guys the story. Yeah. <laughs> this is all a ploy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Adam, Adam's got to go all of a sudden, right? For his yeah. call, he needed to get out of the way. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess my question then, since we touched on social media, is kind of how does a brand approach storytelling in digital marketing and the social media sphere? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird because like social media has changed so much over the last decade uh, since I started, that's been more than a decade now, almost 14 years, I guess. But um, I think the, the brands that are doing it well understand that it's not a broadcast medium, that it is a place where you're entering a space to engage with people. And so it can't just be about putting an ad out there or, or just posting a story. You have to invite conversation. I think that's still true today. And I think you also have to um, not invite, not just invite conversation, but be part of conversation, I think is what you were saying, is really to recognize that you don't have to be the, the brand that starts all these conversations. But if you see, you know, um, conversations about racial justice or injustice bubbling up, you can take a position on that. And you can call out um, bad actors or whatever. So I think like the brands that do it well have personality. They know who they are as a brand. They There's clear definition there. Like, I don't know if they're still doing it. I haven't followed them in a long time, but Wendy's on Twitter was pretty fun for a while there. Um, and, and I think the other thing is like, realize that you're being watched by everyone. So behave behave with that understanding. So when Wendy's calls out McDonald's and McDonald's responds to them, I think that's some of the best uh, 
it, it, it's like it's seeing a story unfold in real time right like it's so, i love it i so love when i see that yeah, yeah it's great yeah but you said that like um that there's all this stuff happening around and everyone's watching and i think some brands know that and maybe take it a little too far where they they're like oh let's not get involved at all let's not make any political statements let's not associate ourselves with any side of this political debate and discussion what would you say to those brands yeah i think um I understand that that perception for sure because you know at a, we work at a financial institution. You deal with things like customer information. Um, we're owned by the government of Alberta, so you know you can't necessarily go out there with guns blazing. But if you don't stand for something, then you stand for nothing. And so you do have to take like you know ATB supports. Um, a bunch of different pride organizations across the province. Um, so if we, you know, see someone, we so when we we post about Calgary Pride, well, we inevitably get people on our Facebook page saying we're never going to bank with you again, and that's fine, right? We don't want those people to be our customer. Do we want everyone to bank with us? Sure, not if they're if they oppose LGBTQ to us plus people. It's just not right. Now, I'm sure there are people within ATB who think that's pretty risky, but I don't think it is. So I think it's, it's all a question of perception. If you're a vanilla brand, then expect vanilla results, right? Unless you're actually selling vanilla. And, <laughs> and it's like, whatever, sell that vanilla, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I guess just like from like a leadership perspective, like what does it take to kind of push more unconventional ideas in maybe like a traditional space or industry? Like what do you do to get that trust from even just your organization to take on that risk? Yeah, that's a good question. I get like whenever I present on anything we've done at ATB at a conference, that's always the question I get. And it's not an easy one to answer because if you do work for a very conservative organization, the risk appetite is simply going to be lower. I, again, this goes back to our earlier conversation about feeling fortunate. I have always worked for very progressive organizations. And I think part of that is because I can't not, like I, I couldn't go and work for, I, you know, an organization that only cared about white people or straight mm -hmm. people. That's not at all my jam. Um, at ATB, we're a, we're a, um, what's the right word? It's like a, we're a values-based organization. We don't tell people how to behave, uh, or what to say. We provide them with guidelines. You know, we've got a, we've got a code of conduct that says, you know, be the best person you can be. Don't be a jerk to people, um, safeguard customer information. And then we've got a set of values that say, that you should trust and expect the same of others, that you should have fun every day, that you should be personally and fiercely accountable, um, that you should do everything you can to put the customer at the center of everything you do. And those are sort of the conditions that get set in organizations that are progressive, that allow you to do interesting, unusual, wacky things. So it, it all starts with the brand and that's connected to the culture of an organization. Um, if you're, you know, I, I'm, I'm effectively middle management. Do I have influence over 
the culture at ATB to a degree, but I can't change everything because I'm not the guy who runs the show. Uh, so my thinking is if, if culture for a place you're working doesn't align with what you believe in who you are, it might not be the place for you to stay, you know? So go work for companies that you believe in. Otherwise, you're just going to be one of those people who collects a paycheck. And if that's what you want, that's cool. If you just want a, a job that pays well so you can uh, go on trips on the weekends or whatever, like that's fine. Know what you're about so that your values align with the companies that you choose to work for. So let's say you're, you're at a company that you align with um, and that you feel like you're a good fit for. Um, and let's say like they are pretty progressive and everything and they do some unconventional wacky stuff from time to time, but they're still, they still like to play it safe sometimes. How do you, how do you like push the needle? How do you like push the brand forward a little bit to do a little, something a little crazier than they've done in the past? Yeah. So, I mean, we've experimented with some of that stuff at ATB too. It may, it may not sound super risky now, but like live Facebook live streams and those kinds of things, like they're sort of risky, I guess, depending on who you have on as a guest, but to me, it's always, it's a it's sort of a growth mindset with my leaders. I say, we're going to try this and it might be a disaster. And if it is, we'll either never do it again, or we'll learn so much from it that when we do do it again, it won't be a disaster. But I need you to trust that, that we're doing this in the best interest of the brand. And even if we do mess up, I think people will be interested that we tried something. And that's usually good enough for the leaders I work with. That's really interesting that uh, something as simple as a, a Facebook Live can be deemed as risky business because it, on a personal level, it seems like such a such a simple thing to do. Like it really doesn't cost you anything or or anything like that. It's it's a, it's a very casual feature that's there. So um, I found that that's an interesting risk. I wonder why. Well, but think about like our company values. So what a lot of organizations might worry about is um, you're, you're bringing on a guest from outside of ATB. What if they say the wrong thing? You know? Um, so there's all kinds of ways you mitigate that. Like we do, um, my team does pre-production meetings. So we prepare a document that says, this is the topic. These are the questions we're going to ask. The audience is going to ask a bunch of questions too. And we just have to make our peace with that. Um, here's what hap here's what we do if your internet glitches. Here's what we do if my internet glitches. So it's like it's it's all about being prepared and thinking about the ways that you can prevent even the smallest disaster from happening. And I think that often gives leaders comfort. It's not like we're going on Facebook and we're just hitting the live button. We've been planning this for a couple of weeks. And not only do we know how it's gonna go, but here's how we're promoting it. And here's what we're going to do with the content after it's done. Like, it's not like a one and done thing. This thing has legs. And, you know, by the time you've put in all that thought, it's, it's usually difficult for someone to say no. I mean, you might still have someone who says, I, I just don't know that it's going to be a good idea. And at that point, that's a difference of opinion. And you just have to trust that I've got the best interests of the brand in mind. And I've done everything I can to make sure that this goes off without a hitch. So when there are ideas like that, where um, it's something new, you're taking some like creative liberties with thinking of new strategies, new things to do. What are some of 
what are some of the personal risks involved with that? Um, and how do you kind of, how do you deal with, how do you deal with those? Like, cause obviously as, as somebody doing it, you're putting yourself with this idea and everything like that. So, um, how do you think, manage that? I mean, the personal risks are, are, if, if you fail, maybe you get fired is one, <laughs> right? Like truly Subtle. it could be depending, depending <laughs> on where you work. Um, I don't often think about those before, before I'm sort of um, really engaged in an idea. I, I usually go with, I think this is the right thing for the brand. And so whatever the outcome, I can roll with that. You know, we, when um, our current president and CEO took his job, uh, I think this would have been like two and a half years ago now, we did a public Facebook live stream with him. It was scheduled for half an hour. And we had my colleague uh, interviewing him. I had a whole crew off camera working on everything else. And the sound was terrible. For whatever reason, we just, we just didn't do the right kind of prep uh, to ensure that the quality of it was at a particular level. So after 10 minutes, we, we told the host to just cut it, just stop asking him questions and wrap up. He didn't notice a thing. Like he was, he was like, this is fine. The audience noticed. And I remember because I was sitting outside of the control room on my computer, looking at Facebook while my team sort of did the heavy lifting. And all of the comments on that Facebook Live was, we can't hear him very well. We can't hear him very well. The sound is weird. Please fix the sound. And I texted my boss and I said, you know, my resignation will be on your desk this afternoon. I was, I felt humiliated. Wow. And she was like, that's absurd. These things happen. And suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like, you know, it was, it was her RVP and the president. And afterwards I went into the VP's office and I was like, look, this, this happened. It didn't go as planned, but we're going to figure out why it happened. And we're going to make sure it never happens again. And she was like, you know what? That's good enough for me. That's good enough. And so, I mean, personal humiliation, sure. But you have to rise above that stuff because nothing is ever going to go 100% as planned. And if you give up, you might as well quit. Like, what's the point? If, you're just, if, if things don't go 100% and you're like, well, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. Then why are you here? Yep. That's true. Creativity is just always risky business. So if you're not ready for risky business, then <laughs> take the way, it easy. <laughs> there, there's this, uh, you guys are young, so you might not know. There's a show called The West Wing, uh, which is about the American presidency. And there's one scene where, you know, the staff of the president has been, has been really like risk averse. And the, the chief of staff finally decides this is ridiculous. Like we have to fight a whole bunch of fights on a bunch of different front, fronts. And he said, if, if we're going to run, I want us running through walls. And that's what I think the level of effort should be. Like, you're going to run through some walls and it's going to be great, but you're going to hit some walls that won't, you can't run through. And you just have to learn from that stuff. And I think that the scary part of, of the work that we do is that it, those failures are all very public. You know, like that's, that's the thing about social media. But if you don't take risks, no one's going to notice. Sometimes those risks don't pay off and you just have to be willing to learn from it and try again, dust yourself off. 
It's yeah. a cliche, but but it's it's worked for us. <laughs> and I guess the other thing too is if it goes really well, then like that's a whole different story. I mean, like even just like as an audience member and I don't even bank with ATB, but I've loved the work that you've done with rapid fire. Like, and I think that that is even just a huge risk because they're kind of, well, at least from our perspective, they're kind of running the show. You don't know what they're going to say. They're like the zaniest, wackiest people out there. So yeah. But you know, it's, it's the same thing as like, as operating as a principles-based organization where you know what the values are. Like when we, when we, uh, partnered with rapid fire on, on those activations, they were, they were like, what, what's our sandbox look like? Can we, can we swear? Like, what can we do? Um, can we make fun of competitors? And we, I, I don't remember the answers to all those questions, but we were like, yeah, just kind of go with it. Like, we don't want to offend anybody. Don't be gross, but, but we trust you guys. And we were with them every step of the way. Right. So if they, they had an idea that we recorded that we, we thought wouldn't fly, we were like, I think that's too racy. Let's try something different. And, you know, th that's another example of like finding a way to tell stories. And the story with that is not just like, we did this cool thing for Albertans when they had uh, improv suggestions, we, we were acted out scenes with them, but it was like, we hired an ATB customer that does great work in the arts community um, to help us do this. That's another story that comes out of that. So you know, like it was, it was kind of a no brainer to work with those guys. My colleague, Tyler Butler, who's, who's my senior manager on my team, he's got a great relationship with the folks over there. He, he knows them from his, his time working at McEwen University. So, you know, it was, it was easy that that one looked risky, I think from the outside, but to us, it was like, yeah, let's do this. The, the best thing about that was that was happening right around the fringe Edmonton fringe festival last year in 2019. And the, some of the folks at Rapid Fire are good friends with Colin Mockery, uh, who's a Canadian actor and, and comedian. And he, the guys from Rapid Fire were like, would it be okay if Colin you know, came with us and did this? And we said, yeah, I mean, what's that gonna cost us? And Colin Mockery was like, just make a donation in this amount to this. It was actually an LGBTQ charity. And we were like, sure. And he spent two hours with us in our studio. It was awesome. It was so That's cool. Sweet. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah. It's definitely not like uh, the most obvious pairing. I no. feel like a, a bank and an improv group. But uh, when we saw that, we definitely wanted to bring it up because that sounds like a lot of fun. We've yeah. done that now with them three times. So the, the first time was the fringe. Then we did a hot, we call it our ATB holiday singamajig where you yeah. could, you could send in the name of a person and then we would write a Christmas song for them, a 30 second Christmas song. And we also did another, no, we did four things with them. We also did a Father's Day activation during the pandemic this year where we had people send in dad jokes and then two, two uh, actors from Rapid Fire and Andrew Fung from Kim's Convenience would periodically produce these videos where they would critique the jokes. So it was like commentary from- Oh my uh, gosh. Comedian. That's hilarious. And That's then we so did funny. another, um, I think it was another fringe activation this summer, but the idea that I wasn't super involved with that one. So it's a little murky to me, but like, yeah, we, what we like to do is like, try something crazy and then iterate. How can we make it better? How can we make it different? Uh, how can we engage with a different audience? You know? 
How, how did you pitch um, as a bank to partner with an improv group, like to the suits? Like, how'd you make that pitch and what they first think about it? <laughs> well, so the other interesting thing about the work that the story team does is we're fairly independent. We were sort of designed to be a communications and marketing SWAT team. So we have a have had a partnership with the Fringe uh, as a as a brand for a number of years. We sponsor the Fringe. I think we might even be the presenting sponsor. And typically that looks like they slap our logo on some stuff at the fringe before performances, they thank us. Um, we host customers at the fringe grounds and we were like, well, that's all cool. But like, how could we take the fringe to 3 million Albertans? Well, let's do it online. And so we didn't actually need to pitch it to anybody. We, we just said, we're going to do this. And uh, my boss at the time was like, Okay, you know, goes. You know, so we have quite a bit of autonomy. Like I said, very lucky to be able to work and do the things that I do. I was gonna say, like, it, it probably comes down to trust at the end of the day, and it sounds like you guys have built a good amount of trust, and it's probably through results. Yeah, but, we, we're award-winning professionals on my team. Yeah, so doesn't no one really yes, needs to look yes, over sir. that. <laughs> That's what she. That's what you got to go out with, man. We've won awards for the stuff we've done. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this then. If let's say somebody who's listening now, this episode like sparked this interest in storytelling for them, and they're like, "I want to do what Adam does one day." Where do How? they start? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. So you have to first. You have to start a hockey fan website, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I my approach is always just to do creative stuff and and then to be willing to put it out in the public. You know, in, in 2009, uh, I think it was 2009 or 2010, my friend Scott and I started a, a podcast called The Unknown Studio uh, where we just interviewed Edmontonians that we thought were interesting. Um, anyone from like the owner of a, a random startup company that we thought was cool. We, we talked to the mayor of Edmonton, um, you know, just, just whomever, whomever had an interesting story to tell. Just because we wanted to flex our muscles creatively, learn how to do interviews, that sort of thing. And for me, making it a public thing, uh, like a podcast, adds a, a measure of accountability to it. And so that's where I would start if you're interested in, in doing creative stuff. Like the reason I got my job at Calder Bateman uh, and at Ignition is because I was dabbling in social media. I was playing with the medium to try and understand what it could do. Uh, the reason we started doing live streams during the pandemic at ATB is because my colleague Tyler was like, well, live video is having a moment right now. Uh, so he spun up his YouTube channel and he started just using a technology called StreamYard to uh, bring people into a digital broadcast studio and do interviews with them. And we, so he learned how to use the tool and we brought it into ATB. So it's like, it's all about experimentation, man. Like just try stuff. And, and if it's good, or if you develop an expertise in it, people will want to talk to you about it and they'll want to hire you to do jobs. Yeah. I think there's something there about creativity too. And when people are wondering how to, I guess, be heard or, or be trusted as a creative, like it seems like the most important step is to create, not only create, but like to get it out there because yeah. that's always the scariest part. 
um, but probably the most important part. So, you know, it's funny, you talk about scary, like I used to in 2000, up until 2015, I was publishing videos on a YouTube channel and I was just experimenting. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, but the internet can be a cruel and terrifying place. You get a couple of like really awful comments and you kind of don't want to do it anymore. And like, you know, it was 2015, Trump was running for president. He's the president now. The world seems shittier. So like, I, I'm I'm more scared personally than before to put creative work out there because people just seem mean about it. But I love, I, I'll waste hours looking at TikTok because it's like the people there don't give a shit about what anyone thinks. They do some of the most creative, uh, mind-blowing stuff I've ever seen. And I, I like... I want to figure out how to use reels and TikTok at ATB. I don't know what to do with it yet, but I don't, I, I want someone, we need to experiment with it, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I, I love creativity. It's infectious and it's inspiring and I, it makes me want to do stuff more. That's why you're the guy for it, right? Like <laughs> it, it, there has to be there. Well, there has to be an element of excitement, right? Because creating and putting it out there like it is scary and the permanence of the internet can weigh on some people too with with putting stuff out there but at the end of the day it is a very fun and a very exciting process and if that is your case then don't don't stop it right like it well exactly and you what know, comes with it there was i was at a conference a couple of years ago Brene brown spoke there and and you know she said something that really resonated with me like you don't have to listen to the people who don't like you they're not your target audience. The folks in the cheap seats, they, they're going to, they're going to say stupid shit and, and you can't allow that to stifle your creativity. And it's something I think about a lot. It's, it's why I'm getting into writing more with my writing partner. We're going to produce a podcast pretty soon. Um, that's weird and fun and, and that Alex will be a voice on probably. <laughs> and, and yeah, you can't, you can't let, like, you have to know, if you know what you're about and you know, you know who you're trying to talk to and you understand, like, if you've got an audience, you understand there are some people in that audience who really get it. Those are the people you're playing to. Um, so don't let that, that fear guide your behavior. Cause I did for a while and I still, I have other creative outlets in my life, but I do regret not sticking with uh, YouTube. And there are days where I'm like, I should go back to it. On the other hand, it's a lot of fucking work, you know, like, <laughs> like recording a video is easy. Editing it so that it's funny is really hard. Same with podcasting too, like editing a podcast. So it makes sense and it's cohesive yeah. and funny and still, you know, educational to a certain extent. Cause we are at the end of the day, like in a school club, we have to like give some sort of value back to people who are listening. It's tough. It's yeah. so tough. Yeah. I don't think I've made it very easy for you either. <laughs> <laughs> No, you've dropped some some serious gems today, and no, you're de you're definitely doing all the all the teaching. We definitely Sweet. appreciate it. But glad to hear that. Uh, are you? Is it too early to talk about this new podcast that you're thinking? Of, like you're putting together? You want to do a little pitch? What's it? Yeah, gonna be about? I I can't get into it. We're still developing like the world and and some characters, but it uh, it's gonna be fucking weird. Yeah, all of us involved. Like, there's an embargo around it. We really can't. We can't get too deep into it. So, yeah. Alex has already said too much. I might have to fire him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's you know, it's something we're working on. I meet with my writing partner once a week. It's probably not enough time. 
Um, but just to bang around ideas and when it's ready, I will let you guys know, but, uh, we're hoping to get it out there pretty soon. Sweet. Looking forward to it. We can talk about your past podcast though. If you can't talk about the future one. Well, I actually have a current one too. I, uh, I host a travel podcast called Canadians away. It's a canadiansaway.ca. And, uh, I interview Canadians living abroad because I, I am not a very well-traveled individual. I've been to like five countries in my life. And uh, actually, that's exactly right. I've been to five countries. So terrible. Um, but I like to understand, like, you know, especially lately, how are Canadians regarded abroad? What do people know about us? What do they, what do they think about us? Because I believe, like, I think we're a really cool cultural mosaic. And I, I'm always amazed that people are like, you know, you live with, you work with a bunch of different people of color. Like that's, it's weird, you know, that's, that's not normal. And I'm like, it's not. Um, so I'm, I'm always trying to understand like what the experience is like outside of Canada. So yeah, every couple of weeks, I actually just published our uh, season two season finale. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, I will interview every uh, Canadians living in places like Oman or London, or um, I, I chatted with a guy who was in Yemen before the war in Yemen started. And it's, it's heartbreaking to hear because Yemen looks like photos of Yemen. It looks like the most beautiful enchanting place on earth. And it's being destroyed right now by Syria and Iran. Um, anyway, so it's like, it's really fun chatting with people. And I, I talked to a woman who um, moved back to Toronto right before the lockdown started in March. She had been living in, uh, shit, I'm going to forget. I think it might've been Bali or something like that. So it's super fun to talk to Canadians living abroad. They're also fun and goofy like us. <laughs> That's a very interesting uh, concept though. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. I yeah, talked to we, our group. We like to just uh, at random times of the day being like, podcast concept and we just throw out like <laughs> nice. the silliest ideas with like titles or whatever so <laughs> mo's a big fan of of podcast concepts oh yeah yeah man i like every couple of days are you like i've got an idea for a podcast oh yeah if <laughs> if i can make a career out of it uh there's no way i'm not gonna do it 100 percent. that's if awesome could, man if i could figure out a big career out of, of podcasting this is so much fun if i can get paid to do this yeah, easy. I, I hope you can, because I think like there's, again, like live videos having a moment. So is podcasting. Yeah. It's just like, how do you get to the tens of thousands of listeners you need to be commercially viable? That's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. If you can figure that out, you let me know. I will. And if same goes to you, by Likewise, the way. Likewise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that you said that there's a moment happening in podcasting because I wanted to ask you, like, what is it that attracts you to podcasting so much? Because you've done one in the past, you've worked on one right now, you want to do another one in the future. Like, what is it about podcasting that really, like, what is it about it that you love? Well, the reason that I produce them is because I love, I love this. I love interviewing people. I like getting to know people. You know, the best interviews are the for me, the ones where you've got your list of questions and you ask the first one and then everything else is, you, you just, you go off on a tangent. Um, and I, I love trying to crack the nut of a person. You know, there was a woman I interviewed uh, a few months ago. She was living, I don't know if she still is, she was living in Singapore at the time. And like the first 10, 15 minutes of our conversation, she, she felt really like, uncomfortable. Like she didn't really want to answer my questions. And then I don't know, I can't remember what I asked her, but she just kind of opened up. And 
after our conversation, um, after I stopped recording, she was like, man, that was so much fun. Like, let me know when we can do this again. Who, who can I recommend to be on your show? And I was like, I thought you hated this. I thought you, I thought you really didn't like this, but something. You look miserable. Yeah, <laughs> something happened, and it just like you make you make these really fun connections with people, and I, I think that's I think that's what I'm about. I like whether it's one to many or or many to one. I just like being able to connect with someone, and then to be able to share that with other people who are interested in the same thing. Right. Well, we got a brand new segment here for the Marketing Major podcast. Uh, we want to make sure that when we're bringing in guests, it's not just a boring old interview that they can do with just anybody. University is all about being young and doing weird things. So uh, we know that you have plenty of experience with podcasts, obviously. So we want to turn the tables a little bit. You're the new host for the Marketing Major podcast for the next little bit here. And uh we're going to be the ones getting interviewed. So any questions you have about literally anything, Ooh. have at her. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start. Well, we already know Alex. Alex is a, he's a professional actor. He's going to be the next voice of the f- most famous video game character. I'm sure. Wouldn't that be awesome, by the way? It would be Very. incredible. I could don't, don't say things like this to me because then now this is all I'm going to think about. Well, Make it happen. Okay. So what we're going to talk to Jenea. I feel like we didn't really get to chat very much. So, so first of all, I want to understand, are you a marketing major? Yes. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And, and what year are you in? I'm in my fifth year. So, uh, barely hanging on doing my victory lap. So yeah. (laughs) A victory lap. Tell me a little bit about that. Like where, what's left for you and, and well, let's start with what's left for you. Um, yeah, well, right now it's predominantly I'm doing electives, which I, to be honest, I find they influence kind of my approach to marketing more than the marketing classes even do. Like I, uh, I like taking like sociology classes, women and gender studies classes, all of those things, because I find they just offer a lot more that's very real and applicable and less like concept based, less about marketing and more about what people are actually interested in, what people are talking about and kind of how I can, I like relating that back to how I can kind of better connect with people and better approach marketing myself. So I, I'm, I feel good. I'm excited to be almost done. And, um, it, I'm not going to lie. It is, there's like the the pros and cons of taking like elective classes and that you're like, oh, I want it to be like a, a GPA booster and it's going to be so easy. It's just like a 100 level class and it never is. <laughs> but I just love learning about new things and applying it to whatever I can. So, yeah. What, what is your favorite elective class that you've taken in your entire university career? Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, actually, surprisingly enough, it was one of the spring classes I took, um, like this spring during the pandemic, um, and it was a human ecology class about intimate relationships. And I I just found it really interesting, and I could apply it to my own life and just relevant, uh, like across like 
not just intimate relationships, but just like friendships, anything like that. And just like connecting with people and just like what people are looking for and kind of like what people are trying to do so that they can find like lasting love if that's the goal or which it's kind of like one of the facets of just like human life is just like looking for lasting love, whether that's with a partner or with like family, friends, anything like that. So, yeah. They did not have classes like that when I was in university. That, <laughs> that actually sounds really interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, do, what kinds of things do you learn? Like, they're not like, here's how to date. Right? <laughs> no, no, not quite. Um, there's, it's influenced kind of by a lot of psychological and sociological theories. Um, so like, uh, kind of like attachment theory. And I mean, evolutionary psychology is not really my favorite, but definitely influences that as well. Um, uh, and it's so it talks about kind of like different approaches to communication and conflict styles, but also like, um, like personal things that impact your relationships. Um, but I think the best part about it was that it's not just like someone spewing like, oh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like it's like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, but it's actually like really um, like factual and kind of based on things that are relevant for a lot of people and that it's not just like some unsolicited advice that like people are trying to like push on you that like you have to do this or that to find a good partner. Yeah, I feel like a class like that in the 1950s would be a lot different than it is in 2020. <laughs> yes, definitely. <Yeah. laughs> so what are your plans after you earn that degree? That's also a good question. I mean, I think long term, I really am looking for kind of like a some sort of creative position I think like more immediately I would like to work at some sort of agency um but also paired with I kind of feel this like deep-seated need to work at a place that really kind of is similar in my need for like integrity and kind of just doing things to my best ability for things that I really care about I think that's like paramount for me um, I really, I honestly just love making things and I love making things that I can be proud of. So that's kind of the ultimate goal. And I'm just going to go where the wind takes me in the meantime. So yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Now, Mo, you're also coming to the end of a degree, are you not? Yeah. Same idea. Fifth year victory lap, pretty much do it, doing it together. Yeah. Uh, Alex, before I, before I move on to Mo, are you also in your fifth year? I'm not, no, I'm in my third year. So I'm on my way to, to doing it in five years. So I'm a little, I'm a little less far down the road. Um, but uh, also my side note was going to be, don't be afraid to make Mo sweat here. Um, <laughs> in, the la in the last episode, he said that he can take it if people come for him. So, uh, oh boy, wow. Don't, wow. don't take it, it easy on this interview. Throw it at me. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is a five-year degree typical, by the way? 
it's starting to be more typical because we have the saying, especially in the best school, it's like fours and you five. It's just a way of making us fifth years feel less bad about ourselves, really. But uh, yeah, more people are stressing less about, oh, I have to finish in four years. Let me just like get involved in all these opportunities, find myself, do some semesters abroad. It's becoming a lot more just up to the, the person and the student. Did you do any semesters abroad? No, unfortunately not. <laughs> to be funny is uh, me doing five years wasn't so much of a choice as it was like, I didn't do so hot in the first few years. So I had to like <laughs> redo some stuff and transfer here and there a little bit. So it's been uh, a result of some, some failures, but uh, I'm glad that I'm here. Like I've, I'm actually kind of glad that I ended up in my fifth year doing yeah, what I, can, I am doing right now. Congratulations. Those, those failures, like, do you, do you look back at them and think, Oh man, fuck. Or are you like, do you think they've helped to form you into who you are? A hundred percent. And like immediately after they happened, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Well, I don't know. Jeez. Now I have to go through another year. This, Cause like I, the reason it happened is because I wasn't really good at school. And as a result of it, I, and I have to do more school. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, God, oh, what a, what a little loop I put myself in. But looking back at it now, like three years later, I wouldn't have had any other way. Definitely. I wouldn't have had these opportunities. I would not be the person I am or have like the perspective I have if it wasn't that's, for them. That's awesome, man. Like yeah. nothing, Nothing is ever a straight line. Did you guys ever watch uh, The Good Place? Love that show. Yeah, everything is Jeremy Baramy. It's 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 literally a squiggly line to get in. Barack Obama used to say that progress is never a straight line. He still says it. But as long as the trend is moving in the direction you want it to, you're you're doing okay. So so congratulations, Mo, on on you know overcoming some adversity and getting this <laughs> Thank far. Thank you. I appreciate that. What are you going to do after the U of A? What do you plan to do? Um, I'm, I feel like I'm, Janae took all my, all, all my answers, but uh, <laughs> um, also like I would be interested in also just like joining an agency, but I want to, I want to not just any agency. I want an agency that's like also very progressive and aligns with my um, values and things like that. But I want an agency that lets me like do some wacky stuff, get creative. I want something super unconventional. I'd, and I don't want a conventional career. I want something super just all over the place. So I'm trying my best to be a little hands off and just kind of letting my career kind of develop itself yeah. and seeing where I end up, which is not to, not the traditional way we do it in my family or my culture, but we're, we're trailblazing over here. So, so yeah. Does that, does that mean you've got like a family full of doctors, lawyers, and accountants or mom's, yeah. mom's a doctor, dad's a pharmacist, sister is science student going into psychology aunts and nurse staff uncle's also a pharmacist like yeah that's my family and i'm just like let me do business and marketing and see where it ends up <laughs> yeah you'll have the only covid proof job yeah pretty much <laughs> they're talking about oh budget cuts to the healthcare system i said that's unfortunate for you guys i mean i'm kidding i i'm also really upset about them but it, i won't get affected by things like that going forward which is like the one positive i have over them they have everything else over me which yeah is fair. It's fair. They went to med school. You deserve it. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, you want to work for an agency that aligns with your values. Can you tell me a little bit about, describe your values? Like, what do you think, what do you think it means to be Mo? Oh, wow. Sheesh. Um, Welcome to the Marketing Major Podcast, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, to, to be me, I think at the end of the day, life's all about, you know, finding eternal love like like Janae mentioned along those lines and just like just be a good person and and bring value to the lives around you 
you know? So, so I think in any sort of position where, where we're allowed or, or encouraged to like get involved in some tough discussions about um, society and people and culture, like I want to be involved in that. I want to have some sort of say, I want to have some sort of lasting impact after I've finished all my work and I'm retired, I want to leave behind some sort of impact. So any sort of um, company or position that allows me to do something along those lines, I think that's a perfect fit for me. Yeah, that's good. That's great to hear. And I think like, you know, most agencies, I think, want to do those things. They want to, they want to do things that have a lasting impact. Where that gets tricky is where the money comes in. Because like, yeah. you know, doing work for the United Way is great, but mm -hmm. can they afford to pay, you know, agency rates? Who knows? So yeah, it's exciting. tough. Yeah. Yeah. The money is always like the, uh, just ruining everything about marketing. Like I, I, and I'm also like, as probably as far away from like a corporate person as you'll meet, maybe I think all three, all of us, I think everyone on this, on this, on this episode is like not a very corporate person. So I don't want to work in somewhere where there's like, Oh, this like this corporate culture to like be all hoity toity and not discuss sensitive topics. And you dress this way when don't, don't you dare come to work in jeans and all that stuff. Like I want to just be able to just be myself and just like express myself and do really, really, really important work and a good work too. Like I want to be proud of it um, and not be it, too like pushed by corporate laws and rules. Because stuff. like we didn't, we didn't get to talk about this, but I was, I was at one point going to mention how much I hate capitalism, even though I'm the beneficiary <sighs> of it. But like, yeah. <laughs> are we all just sort of like stuck? Like, it's a weird balance, hey? Like it's awful. Yep. Like I would give up, I would pay, I would do the Norwegian thing and pay half of my salary in taxes if yep. it meant everyone got tr treated equally, that everyone had the same access to healthcare and the school. Why can't we build a society like that? You know? I don't know. I don't know. But when you ask like what's after graduation, I really want to eventually just like live in Europe, either in a Scandinavian country or not, and just just set up shop there i think it just it'd be such so much better of a life but i wish we can do the same thing here yeah mm -hmm. me too i think i think the, the the solution to that is that folks like us have to use our voices and our our votes to to signal to the rest of the world that what we're about and that's that's hard it's hard and it's scary you know especially when you've got like you know my family also family of uh, of not professionals like doctors and lawyers but accomplished people who I don't know if I told my dad that I think we need to eat the rich. I, I don't know if he'd be into that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. On, on the other hand, he sees, he sees the way, you know, the black lives matter uh, um, protests in the United States went down and he's like, that's not right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's right that they're protesting. It's, yeah. it's not right that they have to. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, you know, you want to live in Europe. Have you mm -hmm. traveled the world very much? Oh, absolutely not. I'm probably no. worse than you. Probably worse than you. Like I've traveled to like a very, very few countries. Um, I, I've like at the closest I've been to Europe is like Turkey, which doesn't count in my opinion. So that sounds amazing. Turkey. It was, to be it was, it was, it was great. I was super young. I don't really remember it too well, but yeah, it was amazing. But I want to go like, I want to see the UK. I want to see Italy. I want to see this kind of Sweden, Germany and all that stuff. So that's, that's coming. And once I graduate and have some, some money for once, yeah. uh, I'll definitely be traveling some more. What about the rest of you? You guys, you guys travel to different countries at all very much? Not personally. I'm kind of in the same boat as well. I've been to uh, Canada and the U S and Mexico and uh, yeah, you got to love that North American trio. So. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very different. I have had the privilege of traveling a lot. My like my parents are first gen uh, immigrants from Bulgaria. So um, going back to Bulgaria was a very common thing for me when I was little. And then also while you're there, we ended up, you know, you end up kind of going to this country and that country. And I also spent some time living in Abu Dhabi. Wow. Throughout my childhood. So um, yeah, it's very much a thing I want to continue. It's almost like I, so I also want to live abroad, but it's almost for the opposite reason of, of Mo, like Mo, you're almost like, I, you just like, you just haven't seen that, like all of it. So you want to go and see it, you know, like I have started to see, and I have had the privilege of, of growing up uh, around a lot of different environments. And I want to, I want to keep doing that. Hmm. Uh, I feel like growing up with a very wide, like worldview is super important. Um, so, you know, I do want to go live in places like France or, or like Australia, just like in different continents. Cause everything is done. So it's so different and it's all so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I was in France uh, last June, not this past one, the one before, and I would totally move there. I loved it. Heck yeah. 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 Get out there, Mo. Get out there, Jenea. Come on. Uh, we will. I'm we, trying. Will, we will. <laughs> I know it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Sweet. You're a really good interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Normally, I, I would have done research on you all and would have. No, no, no. That's why we wanted to kind of do it just like impromptu yeah figure it out as we go i think it's more fun that way totally this is great yeah. i had a lot yeah of yeah all right well thank uh, you so much for joining us adam yeah. uh on yeah. our on our season premiere of of season three uh I, f- I feel like we got a lot out of this i feel like we talked career we talked marketing we talked podcasting yeah. I feel like there was some therapy for us in there somewhere. <laughs> I <laughs> we checked off a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah, this is great, you guys. I really, uh, really appreciate the thoughtful questions you asked, and uh, it was nice to hang out with some some young people for a change. <laughs> thanks so, thanks so much, Adam. Honestly, this was this was great. We got a lot out of it. We appreciate yeah. you coming on, and we'll definitely be reaching out to talk about podcasting in the future. Cool. Take care, guys. Thank you Take so care. much. Have a good one, Adam. Adam Rosenhart, everyone. <laughs> that was awesome. Wow. Guys, how much fun was that for you? I wanna I wanna hear because this is what it's like when you, when you get guests and it starts rolling. This is this is the this is why I do this. That was so much fun. Honestly, like the whole time I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just it feels really good because you just you know how much value you're getting in the moment and you know how much value that's going to offer for the people who listen to it too. So it's a beautiful thing. It really is. I wanted to uh I wanted to bring back one of your segments from last year, Mo. Um, what's your what's your quote of the day today? He dropped a lot of gems. So <laughs> I, I I have seven quotes written down in this document right now of things that I want to say. So that's so what I was thinking. Because I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to go through them and I'm going to let you two react and give me your thoughts on the quote. How does that mm-hmm. sound? Okay? okay. That sounds great. Okay. This one hit me right in the core of my chest. Literally. He said, I had fun at school, not in school. That's just, that's the bar. Exactly. That's a bar for me. That's a bar. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's the kind of thing, right? Where it's like you're enabled by school in so many ways, but sometimes the class environment itself, it, 
it's almost like the worst part in a way. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Honestly, like the, the the social structure of school, especially the school of business, that's 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 made my last like few years better than I could ask them to be. And like that's what's kind of built my life recently. But god damn it, do I hate those classes and I hate studying <laughs> and I hate doing all the work, but I can't have that without the other. So for sure. It is what it is. True. Well, it's almost I feel like it's one thing, it just goes to show kind of the the roots of academia and like, I don't know, not to get too deep into it, but it's like kind of that that grading aspect, that test aspect, that like kind of like hardcore, like push yourself to the absolute brink, like study, study, study is kind of almost like what's, that's what's so draining about school. And if it could be all about connections and just learning for the sake of learning and to meet people and like have fun in general, like it just, it kind of like outlines the roots of academia, but perhaps maybe points to like a better future of what it could look like if we were all just kind of like, you know, learning on our own terms and learning because we want to, not because we have to. Preach, preach. Yeah. yeah. Um, this next quote is not so much something we can discuss more like, yeah, true. Um, just to agree with, he said that everything is marketing communications, like every single thing in our society, in the world. And then I think it's 100%. true. I've kind of, I've kind of thought about that in the past, but the way he kind of outlined it really, really made it like clear. I was like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There's no, there's no and ifs or buts about it. Yeah. yeah 100%. Um, this one made me feel very comfortable because this is like, a, this is like a, a, a stress and the kind of like an anxious thought that's always in my head that worries me about my future. He said that you need rock stars um, and superstars. Like you can, not everyone can be a superstar and especially going into marketing. And I talked about how I don't really have like all the talent and all like the experience and all these create ideas and stuff all the time i'm like okay so i'm not gonna make it if i can't have those and i can't be quote unquote a superstar but then he's like yeah everyone needs rock stars too and everyone even people who do one job for 20 years if they're really good at it like you need those people like you don't need new young people all the time you don't need people with experience you don't need people who are superstars or rock stars you just need everything like to kind of work together and that's where you kind of get the beautiful mix and things work out what do you guys think about that one I 100% yeah. agree. I think that, and that's not even with like marketing or agencies in particular. That's with, I think every job in a way, like obviously some are maybe like a lot more competitive and you either know your stuff or you don't, but um, with, especially with those jobs that allow for more creativity and just like flexibility, they're not as routine. Um, everybody kind of feels like they got to be the hottest pick you know they have to be the top player and that's that's not necessarily true because you know um then there's almost like a clash of of all of that and it it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. uh i think yeah i totally agree like especially too with like everywhere to compare yourself like you're just like oh my god like you're scrolling through linkedin and you're like how how are they doing that like they're in like like full course load and somehow they run two businesses and they're the president of four clubs and they're like all of these things and they're an influencer somehow it's just like <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it just feels very competitive and that you have to be like the best and you have to do everything but realistically what's better is you just find what you really love and just work on that just commit to that a, a yeah. quick 
a quick tangent with that, with like a LinkedIn situation. I think I have avoided trying to dive too deep into my LinkedIn. I should definitely fix that up. But um, it's it's weird, and it, it LinkedIn almost adds like all the weird social media things that you have to consider on top of just like normal, normally presenting yourself as a business person. Yes. Like obviously when you're in person and you are talking to people and making those, you know, quote unquote connections and networks, um, there's nothing wrong with not being the superstar. Like a rock star is obviously also just as, like everybody brings value, but yeah. then when you have to present yourself on social media, it's like this weird thing of, well, well then if, why wouldn't they just look at superstars on social media? Like they, they'll look at what's wowing them, but mm -hmm. that's not what real life is. Um, so true. that's why sometimes LinkedIn throws a bit of a wrench into, into how you present yourself, especially in marketing, when you have to prove that you'd be a useful resource. It's like, well, to what extent do I try to wow when I don't think I'm wow? Uh, mm -hmm. Like, how do you do that? So, yeah, I think about this all the time. And I think mm -hmm. just, just the best thing you can do, which is so hard to do, is just don't compare yourself to other people. Exactly. Just, just do the best you can do be the person who you are because no one's kind of going to be like you and just present that person. And if, if, if that's not working where you want to go, then you're not trying to go to the right place. I feel like if someone's not really accepting of that, that you don't need to be at that corporation or that business or that position, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like too much. We try to pitch ourselves as like somebody we're not to, to increase the chance of someone accepting it or accepting who you are. Yeah. I think, I think you, even though that might help you get the position you want right now, you're going to be going down this path where like, you're not really going to be a fit for where you are. And you're not going to be fulfilled. Yep. <sighs> Next quote. <laughs> um, this one's also something I've been preaching for as far back as I can remember. If you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. If you choose to like stay quiet when things are happening, then you're hurting society as much as, as that thing that we're discussing. And this kind of goes with this kind of goes with the next quote too that we have, which was an absolute bomb of if you're a vanilla brand, expect vanilla results. Oh my they, god. They're kind of they kind of go together, right? Like you can you can either take that in as like a company perspective or a, like a personal perspective as well. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it, it applies to everything. I'm going to um, put that quote in my back pocket for the rest of my life and I'm going to pull it out every chance I get so people think I'm like super just like deep and like like I just like think about <laughs> stuff a lot but that's such a good one and it's true and I'm going to use it when like in interviews and shit I'll be like you guys are vanilla brand right now and you're getting vanilla results let me <laughs> let me put let me put a little chocolate in there for you let me spice it up a little bit <laughs> yes yeah it's, I totally agree. I think, yeah, I think especially recently with, we kind of talked about this with social media that you're, you're trying to, for, you're trying to make interactions happen. Like it's not a broadcasting thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, especially with this, people really want to see that there are people on the other side. Yes, um, totally. And that's like a big part of, of now, now changing. If, if your company has to change how they market with social media in the mix now that's mm. probably a big thing that they kind of have to change is is show the humanity behind it yeah um, definitely. which is especially cool with our like perspectives on banks and how like adam at atb is like well we're not trying to be an institution we're just trying to be here for people exactly exactly like it's yeah. like no one no one i mean okay for the odd brand or two i mean i love 
a couple brands, but like people aren't really like no one's scrolling through their social media feeds being like, oh, I can't wait to see what all of these huge corporations are talking about. Like that's not what people are looking for. It's about yeah. just engaging. It's about creating a community. It's about just like connecting with people that you can relate to that inspire you that do creative things like it's it's not about a brand jumping in and being like hello fellow kids like <laughs> like it's just people just want authentic experiences on social media and that's what it really comes down to and that's why wendy's when we mentioned wendy's earlier um that's why they like their twitter blew up the way it did because they were just talking like normal people and saying yeah. normal things mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and exactly. that 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 switch that transition right now to like brands just being more human i think that's mm -hmm. like the only proof we need to like for the for for what's happening like for for brands changing and like even like the no-name brand like all their yeah. all the social media is just like a hundred percent just sarcasm and just like yeah <laughs> just being just being just fun for no reason other than just to be fun um, they don't really have any strategies or any like content types where like they try to like be a little bit like tricky with their marketing. They're just like, this is mm -hmm. what it is. This is what we do this is what you're buying. And yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. And I like that. Um, this next quote, I actually interpreted two different ways. Uh, we could talk about that as, as we kind of dive into it. Um, he said that if you're, if you're going to run, run through walls. So, so the two ways I interpreted that was, um, if you're going to run, don't run away from like the risk or like the challenge, just run through it. And if it, you get knocked on your ass, that's fine. Get up and find the next wall and run through that again. But the next one too, like the, the other way I kind of interpreted it was like, don't do anything like half-assedly. Like if you're going to try this risky project or this risky idea, just do it at a million miles an hour and, and don't kind of like try to tip your, dip your toe in the pool and see if that's good enough and then jump, just go through it. I think it's pretty inspiring for me. How'd you guys like interpret that one? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you pretty much nailed it for me too. Like it's, it, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of what to say without just like repeating and paraphrasing what you just said. <laughs> uh, but, you, you, um, you can repeat it and then cut out what I said and then put in what you said. Just so. It <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think with, sorry, Jeanette, I'll give you a little bit of time to think. I'll hop in. Um, <laughs> I'm, this is, what, a nice, this is, what a nice way to cut somebody off. Let me give you some time to think about it. This is good for you. This is, I'm helping you. <laughs> Typical white male, am I right, Janelle? Help me help you. Um, well, no, because with my thing is what makes marketing so cool is that it's not a routine operation. And that's what attracts a lot of people to it. And it's not for that reason, it's never just going to be an easy like stroll through the park. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes maybe with certain ideas or at very specific times, it might be, but as with anything creative or variable, um, there's always going to be obstacles and yeah, you, ha you have to be ready to kind of face those. Right. Um, totally. So like that was, that was my big takeaway is, and this isn't just with marketing, this is with anything that may change at all, like with writing or, or anything, um, even with us studying, when you study different things, you have different blocks, like mental blocks. And mm -hmm. it's just a thing that happens and people shouldn't expect for it to stop after school because when you finish school, that's when the party begins, <laughs> right? So, Very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, and I guess this, this can be a good one to kind of end, end this wait, on. Wait, 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 wait. Good wait, note wait, to wait. end on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say her thing? 
<laughs> I'm not sure. I didn't Did really. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I didn't have a lot to add, but I think, um, yeah, and I mean, it's applicable to not just kind of like what you're doing and what you're working on, but also just like personal challenges that you have to overcome. Like if you're gonna push yourself, if you want to do something, there are going to be like, like things that will kind of kind of that you'll repeatedly run up against and you have to kind of get used to that and if you're gonna do it just do it like it'll just just fucking do it just (laughs) fucking do it back to nike um uh but yeah just you're gonna come up against kind of like these familiar barriers these familiar kind of limiting thoughts that you have and you kind of at some point you just gotta run through it you gotta say that's not me anymore and push through it it's almost like Very true. it's almost like instead of looking for a routine or like an easy way to always do things, if you can make facing those obstacles your routine and like getting used to that part of of the work, that's going to be so much better for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So la- the last one, I, I love how, okay, this is going to be the new segment is most seven quotes of the week. This is not <laughs> most seven quotes of the day. Um, um, you don't have to listen to people that don't like you. And I think he was saying that from mostly the, like the brand's perspective, like if the people are not liking your content, that's not your target demographic. Right. And in a marketing sense, that's, um, that's very true. Even for me, like as a consumer, I've recently like just, change the way I view advertisement and marketing. Um, like if I see something, I'm like, that's not a good idea. Or like, that isn't, I don't think that's like the way they should be doing it. I'm like, who am I to say? Like, I'm not, I'm not even the person they're trying to target with this. And why am I even like criticizing it? Of course it's not working for me because I'm not the person they're trying to speak to. And I've been kind of trying to remind mm-hmm. myself of that and apply that to like my personal life and personal interactions. Like people are not meant to like you all the time. And if they don't like you, that's not who you need to like you. That's it. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, and definitely to an extent, like if everyone, if, <laughs> if a lot of people are coming at you being like, no, you no, like you should probably do it this way and calling you in, then of course that's a different arena. But I think there's this whole, again, back to social media and just kind of the way the world works now, it's, it feels like you're constantly on display and you're constantly being perceived such that you're always worried about how people will react to you and how people will react to the things that you're doing. But at the end of the day, they don't have any control over what you do. You just have to do you because that's the only thing that you can control personally. Yeah. 